All right, if you will, grab your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verse 13 together. And so as you're turning there, uh, I want to give you some, some good news and bad news this morning. So I'm going to give you the bad news first. Um, one is uh, be praying for um, Matthew K. He uh, tested um, late this week, positive for COVID, uh, mild symptoms. Um, last time I talked to him, he was, you know, uh, he was doing well. Uh, just some very mild symptoms there with COVID, and so they're they're quarantining and they're not here today. Uh, also, uh, remember uh, Vicky Richardson. Uh, Brandy spoke with her this morning, and um, they're basically. Uh, came in either last night or this morning and basically said that Vicky's mom has 24 hours to live. Um, she's been going downhill uh, very rapidly um, in the last several weeks. And so uh, let's remember Vicki uh, and her family in our prayers this morning. And then uh, some good news. Some good news uh, is that Andrew and Karen Nelson are expecting uh, a little girl uh, due in June, and so uh, we're uh, excited about uh, that news. They've been waiting a while. She's uh, well into her second trimester. Um, they, she, uh, Kara had a miscarriage in uh, back at the beginning of the uh, of 2020, and so they were waiting a little while just to kind of make sure that everything uh, was going well and that mama was doing good and baby was doing good, and so they are. And so uh, Andrew gave me the go-ahead to let you guys know um, that they are expecting. And so uh, be praying for them as, um, as they get ready to be parents. And on top of everything else they've got going on, Andrew's taking 24 hours at Auburn trying to graduate so, uh, in the spring so that they can start the process of uh, fundraising for the mission field. They've already decided... Uh, where they're going. They're going to be in Indonesia, uh, working with um, a longtime missionary there and uh, in the country of Indonesia. If you don't know where that is, find Asia and go south, and you'll see a bunch of islands strung together there. And so they're going to be, reach, uh, they're going to be working uh, in that country. And they hope to be there uh, maybe within 18 months. So uh, they got a lot going on. And so let's continue to pray for them. Uh, on top of that, as you know, Kara's a nurse, and so um, she's been like all those in the medical field, working long hours and um, being exposed or running the risk of being exposed to COVID on an ongoing basis. So we praise God that she is healthy and has not, um, you know, tested positive for that. And so uh, just a lot to be thankful there. And then... Um, um, uh, Natasha Okonski is the, like the number one salesperson in, like, I guess the world when it comes to buying and selling houses. So um, now she's the number one in this area. So if um, if you know somebody that's looking for a house, matter of fact, I talk, I got some other news I can't tell you about right now. I got to kind of keep it on the down low, but I got some really other big news. Um, but um, um, actually, I sent someone her way last night that's going to be looking for a house uh, in this area. And so congratulations, uh, Natasha, because um, I know we tried to sell some property for a while and couldn't, and we just didn't have the right person doing it for us. So uh, if you know anybody that needs to sell a house, buy a house, uh, she's the lady to go to. But that's, um, that's a lot of hard work that's, uh, that's paid off. And uh, so congratulations. So good news, bad news. Uh, let's uh, let's keep uh, those who we need to be praying for in our prayers, and let's celebrate with those who need to be celebrated. Okay. Yeah. So, can I say her name? Okay. So, uh, Curtis and Crystal. Many of y'all have met Echo, who is a foster, who's been placed in their care, and there's some. There are some situations going on there and some big decisions that need to be made. And so uh, definitely be praying for her in the days ahead that those who are making those decisions will make the right decisions and she'll 
end up where she needs to be so that she can have everything she can possibly need um, to make the right decisions and, and end up um, not going down the same path that um, other people have gone down in the past. So uh, let's definitely remember Echo in our prayers. Have you found Romans 12? Well, let's pray before we read it. Father, we do lift up Matthew and his family and just pray that you would just continue to uh, grant healing to them uh, through this uh, COVID disease. Uh, we lift up Vicki and her family to you this morning. You are the God of all comfort. Father, we rejoice in the fact that her mother knows you and professes you as her Lord and Savior. And so, Father, you, your word tells us to weep, but not to weep as those who do not have hope, but to weep as those who have a great hope. Father, we do lift up echo to you this morning. Father, we thank you that um, you have brought her into Curtis and Crystal's family and that she has been exposed to the gospel, that she has been loved with the love of Jesus. And I pray that her time with them would be seeds sown that will reap a harvest in her life. Father, we pray for those that are making critical decisions concerning where she'll live and who she'll live with. And we just pray, Father, that you would just uh, direct those in that decision-making process and that she can be in a place where uh, she can continue to be exposed to uh, your truth and your word and that she would um, come to, to find that in this life, uh, the only thing worth having, the only relationship worth having, the only relationship that she can truly count on in this world is a relationship with you as her personal Savior. And so we lift her up to you this morning. Father, we lift this service up to you. We pray that you would take this word, that you would hide it deep in our hearts, and that from it would spring a fountain of life in the days ahead. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Romans chapter 12, verse 13. Let's read this first verse, um, this only verse together this morning. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek the hope to show hospitality. Now, I told the Wednesday night crowd what's interesting about this passage is, is that last week we talked about prayer because Paul closed verse 12 out with the, with the admonition to be devoted to prayer. And as, as though that wasn't hard enough and difficult enough, and just, just, the, just the command to be devoted to prayer uh, can be uh, quite discouraging because none of us excel in the area of prayer. Most of us, as I said Wednesday night, when we hear about prayer or we hear that the pastor is going to talk about prayer, all we can think about is just another opportunity for the pastor to beat us up and run roughshod over us and tell us, you know, what a lousy, no good Christian we are. And then, Paul wants to follow up on this uh, topic of prayer with the subject of generosity. There's, no, there, there's, uh, there's two subjects in the Bible that really pastors, I think, kind of stay away from because um, uh, Christians tend to tune pastors out. And that is prayer, because no one seems to, to do well at it. And then number two is giving or generosity or the stewardship of money because Christians just feel like their money is theirs and they don't want anybody telling them what to do with it much less the preacher. But yet, nonetheless, Paul puts these two great teachings of the Bible uh, back to back. And so what I want us to do this morning is to take a look at what Paul is trying to teach us here by telling us to contribute to the needs of the saints. In Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, which we are slowly but surely working our way through, Paul uses, and I, and I talked about this uh, back when we did verse 9, 
Paul uses a part of speech that's called participles. Okay? He uses what's called participles. Now, to, he uses these participles because he wants to help us to understand what he has already taught us up in verse 1 and 2. So let's, let's, you're in your Bibles, right? So let's take a look at verse 1 and 2 again together. All right? He says what? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as what? Living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service which really just means as it is the only rational response to the mercies of God. Do not, here comes the imperatives, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the, by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable and good. So a participle, let's, let's go back to that. What is a participle? Well, a participle is a word that is formed from a verb and an adjective. <laughs> so you know what I put in my notes? I put, huh? That, that, I did. Because I knew that's what I was going to get from you. Okay, so a participle is formed from a verb and an adjective. So here's what it is. It's a verb with a descriptive action. That's what a participle is. A participle is a verb with a descriptive action. Let, let me give you a for example. Typically a verb, when Paul writes, just using verbs alone, how many of y'all remember 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter on love, right? So he starts out and he says what? Love is kind. But that's all he says. He didn't say what kindness looks like. He just says that love is kind. Well, what is kind there? It's just a verb. But what Paul does here in Romans 12, 9 through 21, is that instead of just giving us a verb and just kind of leaving it open-ended as to what that might look like, what does Paul do? He could have just said to us, contribute, give, but he doesn't do that, does he? He puts it in a participle form. So he, he takes this verb and he sticks an adjective and makes it a participle so that he can give us an action, so he can give us a, a verb with a specific action or a descriptive action. Because typically a verb will just tell us what to do. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily tell us how to do it. And that's what a participle does. All right, English lesson over with. Everybody feel like you know what a participle is now? Okay, you should. It's important. Help you to read your Bible better. Um, I didn't like English either, but, you know, the fact of it is, I, I want to be a good Bible student. I want to understand what the Bible says. So there's stuff I got to learn that I might not want to learn because I want to learn the Bible. Right? Make sense? So Paul uses these participles because he's helping us to understand what, God, what, what he has commanded us to do, the imperatives, back up in verse 1 and 2. And what is the, what's the imperative? The imperative is what? Become a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of, it, uh, of our minds. You see, when these participles... That, that's right here in the text. I mean, they're, they're easy to see. Let love be genuine. There, there's the participle. Let, let, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. You, you see, our obedience to these participles, our living out these participles, validates what He has told us to do in verses 1 and 2. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be a living sacrifice. And, all, and, and, and when you say, well, what does that look like? This is what it looks like. When someone is living out the commands of verses 1 and 2, it looks like verses 9 through 21. 
Today, Paul's going to try to teach us uh, a lot, but we're going to try to keep it as simple as we possibly can. And he's, 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 he's conveying to us that you can be generous and not be a Christian, but you can't be a Christian and not be generous. Did you get that? You can be generous and not be a Christian, but you can't be a Christian and not be generous. Contribute to the needs of the saints. What does this word contribute mean? Because I think it's important for us to understand what the word means. It means to have a lifestyle of sharing one's possessions with the implication of some kind of joint participation and mutual interest. Well, the joint participation and the mutual interest is that we're saints. Right? That's what connects us together, that we're saints. But here's what Paul does. Paul takes this word, contribute, this participle, and he roots it back into Romans chapter 1 through 11. When he says, therefore, by the mercies of God. You see, let me remind us of something that I've taught before, so let me teach it real quick again. So he gives us, this, he gives us these commands. This is what you're supposed to do. Be a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is what it looks like in verses 9 through 21. But, the, but how we do that comes out of what the indicatives or what Christ has already done. You see, God is not asking us to do something, and Paul is not teaching us to do something that we're incapable of doing. Because what he's done, he's just given us 11 chapters in the Bible showing us the life of Jesus and the effect of Christ's life in us. And now what he is saying is because you people, you Christians, you saints, because you have experienced the mercies of God, guess what happens? You become a generous people. You become a generous people. You see, the mercies of God take a person who is bent on getting and turns them into a person who is bent on giving. Did that, yeah, that come up on the screen, didn't it? That's my whole sermon right there. That, that's what Paul, When Paul says contribute to the saints, what he is saying is this. He's saying the mercies of God want to take you who are bent on spending everything on yourself and it's bending you in a different direction because now the mercies of God begin to bend you in the direction of becoming a person who is bent on giving. Now Paul uses the same logic in 2 Corinthians. Look at what it says in uh, 2 Corinthians. I think it's going to come up on the screen there. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was, listen, rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you might, through, so that you might become rich. So that you, by His poverty might become rich. What's going on here? What's Paul talking about? Well, in the context, Paul is talking, uh, he is appealing to the Corinthians to be generous towards a group of believers in Jerusalem who are going through um, really a Great Depression. I mean, they are going through absolute poverty like has never been seen. And so the appeal of Paul is Christ's grace on the cross, for those who are spiritually helpless and destitute, should motivate us to be generous to those in need. That's why this book that we're reading uh, in our, our life group together is so important called Living the Cross-Centered Life. Because see, what happens is, the more and more we understand of what Christ did for us, the helpless and the destitute and the spiritually poor... Once we understand what He's done for us, the result of that is in our hearts, we become motivated 
to be generous to those who are not only in spiritual need, but we become generous to those who are in physical need. You see, generosity reflects a cross-centered life because it reflects Christ's work on the cross. I'll say it to you one more time. Generosity reflects a cross-centered life because it reflects Christ's work at the cross. Do you remember what the title of this whole sermon series out of Romans 12 is? It's called Demonstrate, right? We, this life, Paul has given us 11 chapters of what Christ has done and, and what it means to be a Christian, and now he's telling us what it looks like to be a Christian in everyday life. So let me give you just... Let me give you three points this morning. I want you to see from this that there's a call to generosity. There's a call to generosity. Now look, we have to be called to generosity because generosity is not our natural bent. Now don't get me wrong, there's some people that are, that are more giving naturally than others, but none of us is as generous or as giving as we should be or to the level that the Scripture really calls us to. You see, the mercies of God call us to be generous towards the saints. Now listen, this morning, this sermon only deals with inner Christian responsibility. I'm not talking about helping those that are outside the faith. That's another sermon for another time. The Bible has plenty to say about what to do about uh, being generous to those who are outside the faith. But right now what Paul is teaching us is how we need to interact with those inside the faith. Why? Because what, the, 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 what has probably hurt Christianity more than anything in the last probably 50 years or more has been how Christians have treated other Christians. And for me, uh, I watched this weekend um, a, a, a documentary. I've watched a lot of documentaries this weekend. But I watched another one called The so uh, Social... What's it called, Brent? The Social Dilemma. If you hadn't watched that, you probably should. I'm getting ready just to disconnect all social media from my life because I'm like, whoa. You, you should, I'm, I'm serious. You should watch that. That is... That is some more eye-opening, uh, you know, uh, documentary there. And I have watched how Christians have treated other Christians on social media, and it is, it is absolutely disturbing. It is disturbing. And the Scripture, right here in the middle of probably the greatest book in the Bible, the book of Romans, Paul is not going to teach us, after he's taught us all this doctrine, he doesn't say, now here's how you're going to treat the non-Christian world. What he says is, this is how you treat those who are in the Christian world. Why? Because why in the world would non-Christians want to come get on our team when we got a dysfunctional, jacked up, hateful, mean, ugly, despiteful, despicable team? I mean, people are, I mean... Even non-Christians got enough of that, right? Why come get on this team if that's the way we treat each other? So it's amazing that Paul still has to lay out for us interpersonal ground rules of how to relate to one another. And then he has to tell us, look, you've got to keep going back to the mercies of God because if you don't keep going back to the mercies of God, you'll lose focus on why you've got to treat each other this way. Because... God in Christ Jesus has treated you this way. The application of Paul's exhortation is clear. When the children of God fall into want, take a part of your wants, uh, of their wants, upon yourself. Make their wants your wants to the full extent of your ability to relieve them. Now back up in verse 5 of Romans 12, don't forget what Paul, we've already looked at this, Paul said this to us, So we, though many, are one, bo one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Or Paul also taught us 
uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians. If one member suffers, all members uh, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Have you ever, have you ever questioned your prosperity? Have you, I mean, have you ever sat down and thought about how prosperous you really are? And you may say, hey, I'm not very prosperous. I live on a fixed income. I don't even, I don't even make above the poverty line. If you're an American, you are prosperous. Period. I don't care if you're on a fixed income. Americans, by and large, are the wealthiest people on the planet compared to the rest of the world. We are a prosperous people. Have you ever asked yourself and considered your own prosperity? How did I get what I've got? If you've got a house and a car, you're, you fall into the category of it, you live in the top 1% of people in the world when it comes to wealth. If you own a home and a car. How did you get your wealth? How did you get it? Work hard? You got an education? How did you build up such a big 401k? How did you make six figures? How did you get that house? How did you get those cars? How did you get those clothes? Deuteronomy 8.18 tells you, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth. Who gives you the power? Not you. <laughs> well, I got out there and worked hard. I, I, I went to school all those years. I did this, I did that. Okay, you did. Who gave you the brain power to do that? Who gave you the physical ability to do that? Who kept your lungs breathing and your heart beating and, and the synapses in your brain firing? Who did all of that? Not you. Not you. This is where you and I both fail right here. This statement right here is the most convicting statement. I didn't even want to put it in this sermon. Because this is a statement I've got to own and I've got to start living up to. And so do you. God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. Y'all want to go home on that one? Y'all just want to call it quits today? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, really, man, I, I don't even have to go any further. We call it quits right now. God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. Jesus taught that how we handle money is the litmus test of our faith in Him. You, you want to hear some familiar words written in red from Jesus? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven or treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Generosity, you know what it does? It helps me to find where my heart is. We got this little machine at work. It's called a it's called a locator, and you you wave it around because we got these little devices we put in the ground. They're called Centricon bait stations, 
and grass grows over them and you're trying to, because you've got to pull them out of the ground and check them once a year. And so you're out there trying to find it and that thing is, and it lets you know when you get close and when you found one, then you dig it out. That's, that's what generosity is. It's just a locator. Like if you want to know like right now, where's my heart? Just, just use that verse. Where's my treasure? That's where my heart is. Am I living for self? Am I living um, for self-sacrifice? Scripture, in ways I cannot fully communicate today because I don't have enough time, teaches us that our standard of living will be reflected in our standard of living in heaven. I'm going to say that to you one more time. The Bible clearly teaches that our standard of giving will be reflected in our standard of living in heaven. If you need a Bible verse, I could give you a lot, but I'll just give you one. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Jesus has directly connected what our experience in heaven will be like to what we do with the resources that He entrusts us with here on earth. How you doing? How am I doing? Are you doing well? You're not doing well? Your stewardship of earthly prosperity does have a direct connection to your eternal prosperity. I recommend book. You don't have to write these books down. Write a name down. Write the name Randy Alcorn down. He's probably written more about this than, than anybody. You want to know how to steward money God's way? You want to know how money, how you, how you steward money on earth affects uh, your uh, eternal prosperity? It's connected. It's there. It's all throughout the Bible. How do you evaluate your prosperity. I'm not going to finish this sermon, so I'm about to stop here in a minute. I'm actually going to stop early because there's, there's so much more. I thought, man, I'll get done with this early. I mean, I didn't have hardly any notes. I mean, it was very light compared to what, what it normally is. How, how, do, how, do I, how do I evaluate generosity in my heart? Well, generosity is a lifestyle that flows out of an attitude. It's, generosity is a little bit difficult to define because it's, it's kind of a subjective uh, element when it comes to generosity. But Webster, the dictionary, says it is, the, uh, it is liberal giving. That's what Webster says it is. It's liberal giving. But what seems, to, what seem, but what seems generous to one person may seem... To be stingy to another. How many of y'all know who Warren Buffett is? Yep. Pretty rich guy, right? <laughs> Warren Buffett made the following statement after he had donated, now listen, $26 billion to the Bill Gates Foundation. Can, can, can you wrap your mind around that? I mean, just having $26 billion, but having $26 billion to give away. But listen to what Warren Buffett said. He said, my gift has not changed my lifestyle one bit. I still go to the movies I want to go to. I still eat at the restaurants I want to dine at. But what about the person who gives a gift that requires they can't go to the movies or out to eat? They are the true givers, the true heroes of generosity. You know what Warren Buffett was saying? Don't praise me because I gave $26 billion away. Don't say Warren Buffett's the most generous man in the world because I gave $26 billion away because I gave $26 billion away and my lifestyle hasn't changed one bit. 
What is he doing? Warren Buffett is getting at what the heart of Paul is, and the heart of Paul in the Bible is, is that how do you know you're, you're generous? Is because you give away, and in giving away, there is stuff that you give up having because you have given it away. Giving out of the overflow of abundance is not the biblical definition of generosity. It's just not. A guy named Sir Henry Taylor said, He who gives up what he would readily throw away gives without generosity, for the essence of generosity is in self-sacrifice. We are called to be generous. And it's not going to be easy to be generous. By any stretch of the imagination is it going to be easy. But what's at stake this morning is simply this. Your reputation as a Christian... And what do I mean by that? Your reputation as a Christian. Whether you're really a Christian or not. And the reputation of Jesus Christ Himself. Why? Because if we are the people who have claimed to have experienced the greatest gift of mercy ever... then the only way to validate that great gift of mercy to a watching world is to live that out. Not live for ourselves. Look, if you're a living sacrifice, you can't live for yourselves. The world says... Live for yourself. Don't be conformed to this pattern of the world, right? But be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. What, is, what does the Word of God tell our mind to do? Be generous. Be sacrificial. And I'll go into this a little bit more next week. I, so I'll save the rest of the sermon for, for next week. But listen, there, there's, there, 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 there's two experiences attached to this that is critical. Because when you're thinking about, good, I mean, like, you know, I would, I really want that. And again, God's not, He's not against you having stuff. I don't want you to leave here today hearing that God is against you having stuff. But He is against you having stuff when you do it at the expense of being generous. When's the last time you didn't get some fill in the blank because an opportunity to be generous presented itself and you use blank money designated for blank want and you gave it to somebody that was had a true need. So God's not against you having stuff. He's just, he's just against stuff having you. And He's against stuff keeping you from being generous to those who are in need. Because in, in our generosity, the two experiences that God has linked together is your joy. Is your joy. An eternal reward.
Those are sermon series in and of themselves. But trust me, your joy is tied to it. And your eternal reward is tied to it. That's a, that's if, if, if the mercies of God by themselves, the fact that God has saved you and showed you such, such, showed you such great mercy is not enough, then the fact that He is going to reward your generosity and that He is going to give you great joy in the midst of your generosity, that just sweetens the pot even more. So, as David comes and he leads us in a closing song, I, I just want us just to be honest with ourselves this morning. Where's my generosity right now? What's keeping me from being generous? That's really the second part of the sermon that we'll deal with next week. What's keeping me from being generous? Why am I not being generous? Well, I'm not being generous because I'm in debt. I'm not being generous because of this. I'm not being generous because of that. You know, you got all these reasons why you're not being generous. The reasons probably for everybody is different. But here's where I want us to start today. And this is why I'm cutting the sermon off where I am. Forget all of that. Forget all the reasons why you're not being generous. And let's just deal with the number one reason why all of us struggle with generosity this morning. And that is because... We do not obey verse 1. We do not live our lives rooted and centered in the mercies of God. That's why I ask you, have you ever considered where all of your prosperity has come from? God has prospered you because He is merciful to people who deserve hell, who deserve punishment, who do not deserve good. And yet, He has been good to us. And He's been even better to us that He has sent us His Son, who has died for us, who took our sin, who took our debt upon Himself, who paid every debt that we owed so that we could be free to be generous not only spiritually in forgiving others, so that we could be generous in displaying the goodness of God through our generosity. So this morning, I simply want us to take one step. It's the, it's the most important step towards taking all the other steps that need to be taken. We need to admit that we're not generous. And we need to confess that. Repentance is not bad. It is good. The, the Bible says God's kindness leads to repentance. The Bible tells us that when we, rep when we repent, God sends refreshment from heaven. And so I want you to bow your head and close your eyes with me. Listen, I don't want you to feel beat up by this. I don't, I don't want you to feel guilty about your shortcoming in generosity, because you sat in a congregation this morning that 100% of the people in this room are guilty of. There's nobody stroking an A in this class. Nobody. Your pastor included. But listen, the reason why this is not about guilt, because it's about grace. I come to you this morning not to jump on you. I come this morning down in the muck and the dirt with you saying, listen, listen to the voice of Jesus. He's calling us to something good. He's calling us to something that is, that is our highest good. He is calling us not only to earthly joy, but He is calling us to heavenly joy, to infinite joy, to eternal joy. He's telling us this morning, just like you lay up 
money in your 401k so that one day you can retire and travel and do all these things that your mind has imagined for you to do in retirement. Listen, I'm telling you, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Why? Because I've got an eternal retirement plan and I can, I can take your investment and I can turn it into something that eye has not seen nor ear has ever heard of. And do it because I came down from heaven and I took on all of your debt. I took on all of, uh, all of your poor decisions. I took on all of your sin into my body and I took it on a cross and because you've put your faith and trust in me, I have wiped your debt clean. I have covered it 100%. It's done. It's paid for. Sin, your sin debt has been canceled. And now, go forth from this place. Leave this place today. Because of what you have experienced in, that, in your salvation. And because of what I have done for you on the cross... And meditate on that and think on that and, and never lose sight of that. And let that great truth penetrate your heart so deep that your heart just overflows in generosity. You will think of others before you think of yourself. You, you, you will contemplate purchases before they're made because they may prevent you from being in a position when an opportunity to be generous might come. Because there's people that have never heard the name of Christ. There's missionaries raised in this church preparing themselves through education right now to go to a foreign country to subject themselves to who knows what so that people who don't know Christ can know Christ. There are people who have, brothers and sisters, who have genuinely been affected and, and, and sent into great financial difficulty of no choosing of their own, but because of a virus, because of shutdowns, because of whatever it might be, and they're struggling financially. But, but yet, you got a job. And, and your bills are being taken care of, and there's, there's money left over at the end of the month. And, why, and why, why has He done that for, for those of us that are in that place? I'm asking myself that question. Lord, why have You done that for me? And I know why He's done that for me. So that I can be what I'm not right now. And that is generous. So Father, this morning, as we get ready to sing this final song to You, Father, before our lips join the chorus of this song, May our hearts bow before you in contrition and repentance and saying, Father, forgive me. I have been selfish. I have been greedy. I have not been generous. Lord, you know I've given, but, but I give out of an overflow. You know what's left over? I just, I just keep for myself and use on myself. Oh, I've had opportunities to be generous, but... But I haven't because I got a want that I want. And why should I meet that need when you could meet that need? But I know you bring that need to me because you, wanna, you want to meet that need through me. You could go pull a coin out of a fish's mouth. But you meet needs of other believers through believers. So Father, I confess before you this morning my greed, my sin. And I ask that you would give me a fresh revelation of your mercies towards me. So that tomorrow and today when I leave, I'm moving towards generosity and away from greed. Thank you that you love me enough that, 
that you just send verses like this into my life and even a sermon like this into my own personal life to, 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 to right the ship, to, to get me going back in the right direction. Because you want me to be generous because you want people to know that you're generous. You want me to be generous because you want me to experience joy. And you want me to be generous because there's a day coming where you want to reward your own and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Help us, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing this final song together this morning. Back next week because we need to finish this sermon and there's more kind of nuts and bolts practicality because I know there's a lot of questions. Um, you know, how do I just how do I get started? How do I cultivate 
generosity in my heart. Okay, we're going, so that's point two, how do I cultivate generosity? And then the last one, how do I circulate generosity? So how do I, you know, who do I start being generous to? And, and all those questions about, well, should we just be generous to everybody? What about somebody who's always asking for money and yet they, they don't know how to manage their money? They're just out there wasting it. What do we do with those people? I got answers for all that. But you got to come back next week to find all that out. Right? Today is about me and you getting our hearts right about generosity. So now we can start cultivating that. And then we can start circulating some generosity in ways that genuinely help people. Um, because the Bible doesn't say be generous blindly. Okay? And so we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, one, a couple of announcements. The February the 12th, if you got kids and you want to drop them off here at the church to catch a break, have a little bit of a respite, there's these things called dates. And when you got kids, you don't get to have those. Now, like, when you're in my position and you're empty nest, you just you go on dates whenever you want to. It's like always date. But some of y'all don't have that privilege yet. So take advantage of... Uh, February the 12th, it's a Friday night. If you want more information, see David about that. And then on the 14th, which is a Sunday, the youth want to have a Valentine banquet. So they're going to cook, and we're all going to hang around after church, and we'll go out to the Christian Life Center, and we'll have a meal together, and uh, we'll all be each other's Valentine. Miss Barbara. Okay. Yep. Right. Great. Amen. Amen. And we also want to say thank, thank you. Brandy and I, for all of you that have called and checked on Brandy's mom, Teresa, she's doing good. Uh, she didn't have to have rotator cuff surgery, but but they did uh, they did cut some ligaments to free up a frozen shoulder. So a lot of rehab now. So thank you for all your calls and inquiring about her. And um, you know it's just a day by day process. So uh, we thank you for that. Yes, ma'am.
Well, if you, you get the name and the details, and I promise you we'll, we'll do everything within our power to do whatever we have the power to do. So just, just get us the information and the details, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll get busy on that. All right. Well, let me pray, and we'll go. Father, send us from this place, remembering your mercy so that we might be generous. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.